Welcome back to the Attention Podcast, where you learn how to gain and retain the attention of your buyers to grow an audience. I'm Dan Sanchez with Sweetfish, and today I talk to Carrie Straits, who is the head of demand generation at Mode Analytics, about what a podcast marketing strategy should look like. Should look like. In the interview, we talked about the podcast she helped launch at her last company, the paid media and creative elements they use to promote it, and the proper elements of a marketing plan to execute it. If you're new to the show, hang around for the last few minutes to hear my takeaways. All right, let's get into it. Gary, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Absolutely. In our pre-interview, you mentioned that you see a lot of marketers build content channels and then continue to produce content for them, never ever spending time like thinking about how to distribute that content or get people to look at it. Essentially, they're they're building it and then just hoping they'll come, right? You know, from the mm-hmm. what was that movie? The Field of Dreams movie. They kind of they kind of pulled the Field of Dreams. So why do you think mm-hmm. people do that for starters? I think it's a challenge to put budget behind promoting your content channels. They're not directly generation channels, right? Something like a podcast or your content channel is, tends to be more upper funnel. And so building the business case around it can be really, really difficult. I also think that sometimes marketers, it just doesn't occur to them that they need to start promoting it. Like you produce some content and you think you're just going to build an organic audience. And that can be true for blogs, for sure. When it comes to podcasting, it's a little bit different because it's really, really difficult to build that organic audience. You can't bid on keywords. You can't you know, sort of do those things that you can do on a blog. So I think one, it's building the business case to promote your own content. But two, it's also having the awareness that you need to be promoting your content. It's kind of funny. Even with the blog, or I would say with YouTube, which has discoverability built in, right? Mm-hmm. Like unless you actually have done it or know how to build get discovered on YouTube or actually know how to do SEO well enough to get it ranked. Like the chances of it actually happening, I find are pretty low, right? Like unless you've mm-hmm. tried it before. But I feel like I've seen lots of channels launched, blog, YouTube, podcast, even social channels on the, at least their company page where they're actually posting. Mm-hmm. They just keep posting and then they're like, well, the rankings aren't there. And then they, I don't know what it is, but they don't even, maybe they just don't even look at the rankings or consider it that way. Right. But I know that's not the way you approach launching these channels. So can you share your approach with the audience? Yeah. So a former company, I launched a podcast, my team did. And I would say 50% of the work was planning out the season, the first season, editorial calendar, guest speaker, speaking guidelines, inclusion and diversity guidelines. And the other 50% my team spent on our go-to-market plan for our podcast. So how are we going to market it? How are we going to build an audience quickly to prove an ROI for this type of content? And we looked at both earned and owned media. So we looked at it great. Okay. So we're going to put this in our customer newsletter, right? We're going to have an internal employee contest to have some downloads and um, to source reviews. But then we really looked at where are we seeing success in our distribution channels for demand gen? And we put, I would say roughly $20,000 in paid media behind the podcast. So we looked at paid social and promoting the content the podcast to our audiences on paid social. So Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We put money behind YouTube advertising for our podcast. We put money behind programmatic display. That was a real driver for us in getting people to the podcast pages. 
And we also did some programmatic buys on podcasts. We did just straight programmatic placements, but we also did placements on specific podcasts where we knew our audience was. And so this was a huge effort. It was almost as much effort as producing the podcast itself, but we had really, really great results with, for the entire sphere of my budget, this was a minuscule amount of budget. And I think that we would not have had the success had we not actually shouted from paid mountaintops that we have a podcast. It is good for you. Here's what you're going to get. Come on over to our website where we built out a podcast section and start listening. And the results that we got were pretty stunning. They were stunning. I mean, 20K, 20K spread out over like how many months? I believe that was just the first month. And I didn't get net new budget for this. We had to sort of piece it together from other places or take it out of general campaigns that we were running. So you spent about 50% of your time towards it and 20K just to kick this thing off. Did you have an Mm -hmm. ad budget afterwards to kind of continue growing the audience or was it just 20K to bam, like flash in the pan, get it everywhere and kick this thing off, right? We continually promoted the podcast. Um, After we saw the 30-day report out on the results that we were getting behind our efforts, (laughs) it was hard to say, no, 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 we shouldn't do this anymore. This is just not a good use of money. It was like, oh, we, we need to put more money behind this effort because this is really driving a lot of website traffic for us, which is great, right? Because then we can cookie and retarget. We also knew from looking in Google Analytics that if somebody ended up on our podcast page, we could look at the user paths and they consumed more podcast content. So there was a stickiness to this content on our website where we were able to bring people in with just an episode and then they consume several others. So we started to sort of build an organic base in that manner. Gosh, it makes so much sense because once you consume one, you consume multiple. And then there's just the fact that they're spending... I mean, how long were your podcast episodes? 30 minutes, probably, maybe more? They were around 30 to 40 minutes. And it was, you know, sort of like real life stories from our target audience. And so it was really, really relatable. And you just said something that is so common that I didn't think about at the time. Like when I'm, when I find a new podcast that I love, I binge it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what we were seeing in the data. That even, even when you're checking sort of, it out, it's like, you, yeah. go, you don't just check out one episode. If you're interested in a podcast, you'll, you'll give, you'll take a few swings before you're like, eh, this isn't me. Right. 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 Yeah. I'll bounce around on the episode history to find interesting titles and mm-hmm. either love it or leave it and find something else. But it's so much consumption. They're spending so much time with your company in their ear, mm-hmm. right? Because podcasts are long. And even if they're listening to it at 2x, it's still a lot of it's still a lot of information and time spent with you, the now the company. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have so many questions after you kind of opening up that foray into how you launched your podcast. So if you don't mind, I'm gonna go circle back a little bit. Sure. You said you dropped or 20k to, to launch. Like, what was the allocation of that towards these all these different channels? Did you kind of just sprinkle 2K, 3K evenly across all these channels? You said you did Facebook and Instagram ads, LinkedIn, YouTube, programmatic plus programmatic podcast. That's a lot mm-hmm. of mediums to spread 20K yeah. around. Still, yeah. that's, that's getting everywhere real fast. Right. We put 5,000 behind Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn for paid social, Um, and the other 15,000 against programmatic and um, the private podcast buys. We chose that allocation because the targeting that we could find in programmatic 
based on intense signals was much, much better than what we were able to find on paid social. So that was sort of the deciding factor. And let's put a little bit more investment behind programmatic because we know we're getting in front of the right audience. Okay. For the programmatic podcast, did you have audio ads you were recording and inserting it dynamically into podcast content? Of course he did. <laughs> well, there's, yeah. there's so many different ways to do it. People just sometimes buy banner ads on podcast apps and call it podcast ads, right? Oof. I was Which, aware of that. I don't that. know anybody who's <laughs> watching those, but they're there. You know, there's, there's free or cheap podcast apps where they're there. I know as I check out all the podcast apps as a professional podcaster, I'm always like, I look at every single app to see what's going on. So mm. programmatic audio, man, what were you booking those through? Like what kind of platform were you booking programmatic podcast audio through? We had an agency who had a DSP that leveraged mm. it for us. Okay, yeah. that helps. <laughs> and what mm-hmm. do you do for creative? What'd you do for creative across the different platforms? See, here's where it gets interesting. I think that you had a post on LinkedIn about what your podcast logo should look like because everyone's going to see it in their podcast streaming app. Mm-hmm. And I actually hold a contrarian view to that. If you're marketing your podcast correctly, your audience is going to see this logo everywhere outside of the ecosystem of their podcasting app. You're going to see it on their Facebook or their LinkedIn or Reddit or um, they're going to get served an ad somewhere and they're going to see your logo and then they'll go to the podcasting app to find it. So I I look at it a little differently because I looked at such a big go-to-market plan. I know. I think I'm a a big fan of having really nice cover art for a podcast. I'm not sure when I posted this, but it must've been a while ago because I don't think I've talked about cover art in a while. Ah, okay. Must've been a while ago. Or it could have been one of my colleagues. Maybe I commented on so there's, a lot, there's a lot that of the Swedish people out there on LinkedIn talking about podcasting. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. cover. it's been a while. So you're a big fan of having really nice cover art or at least really recognizable cover art so that it's easy, easy to read, stands out, communicates the message, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's the cornerstone of your go-to-market art direction or viz ID. Yep. It's, yep. it's going to be everywhere. <laughs> so it makes a lot of sense. You're essentially doing a lot of ads pointing them to the website, but also just creating pull, you know, like they do in like shopper marketing when you're trying to get people to buy stuff at Walmart, right? You advertise right. and then it pulls people through your product through Walmart. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you're trying the same thing, which makes a lot of sense because while some people will go and listen to it on your website and maybe even by email, most people are just going to go to their favorite podcasting app and find it. Right, right. So what would what the creative look like on the visual side and the audio side? Did you just say, hey, new podcast? We did promote the name of the podcast and this was top funnel. So we focused purely on the value that the audience was going to gain from the podcast. We did not focus on our brand at all. So it was sort of like small business owners telling their founders stories, um, Mm -hmm. pitfalls and things that you can learn when you're starting your own business. We did not talk about our brand. It was solely just, here's a great piece of content for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We didn't have our logo in it at all. So that's good. You mainly just advertise like the broad value proposition of the show on Mm -hmm. audio and the visuals and let the cover art kind of shine in probably in the visuals. Yeah. It's coming together in my mind. This is good. And one of the few examples I've seen of nobody, no logo usage, not talking about your product. And that's usually what I have to talk people out of when I'm trying to talk them into doing some kind of similar work Mm is because you're advertising to grow the audience, not sell product. The selling the product comes later, but like, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be nice to have your own audience, right? To actually mm-hmm. advertise your own products too, because then that's pretty much free, other than the time it takes. 
Yeah. I was very, very grateful to work with my team who absolutely got it. Like if anybody was like, we need to put our brand logo on this ad, my team was like, no, that's not going to happen. This is a pure content agnostic content play for our second audience. time. I've heard and that then, term, so that must be a thing. Agnostic brand agnostic? Yeah. Oh, I've been saying that for a long time. That's you, new to me. You said to refer to upper funnel. Oh, yeah. And my leadership also understood like when I put together my business case, like this is a top funnel strategy, right? This is how we're going to grow brand awareness through really good content, but also deepen uh, customer loyalty sort of at the bottom of the funnel by producing stories that they like to listen to. And they understood like the idea of brand agnostic. We're writing the content. It's a 30-day test. If it doesn't work out, then we'll sort of make some optimizations along the way. But leadership was also behind us and no logo, promote the content and let's see what happens. All right. So after the first month launch, what did you pair your ad spend down to or did you hold the 20K a month for a while? And did you like lose any channels after after the first month that just used certain channels? We held on to the 20,000. We may have increased it sort of around the time that our business has some seasonal highs. Um, mm. So we increased the budget there um, to grow, obviously, top funnel brand awareness. We did stop doing YouTube advertising. Um, we had done it in a couple of different ways, but we didn't do it well, I don't think. We recorded our podcast and we released it on YouTube just as a recorded version of our podcast. It was the same content. We really didn't promote that a whole lot. And we didn't see any traction or activity. We saw people staying on YouTube and that's fine, but that doesn't get them to my site where they learn my brand. So we sort of cut out that channel after the first 30 days and really focused on paid social uh, with Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn and programmatic. Okay. It's interesting. You you cut out YouTube because it wasn't on your website, but most of the podcast app listening doesn't happen on your website either. Yeah. I think that's a fair statement. I don't know that I've got a good answer for that. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. We, we felt like it was, we were not paying enough attention to what was going on to it to make an investment. It was a resource allocation thing, but also like, again, getting people to our website was really important. Yeah, that, that, that. <laughs> funny. I think a lot more about YouTube only because podcast listening via YouTube is on the rise. I feel like it's other podcasts, less business podcasts. Like there's a lot of topics around podcasts, around, I don't know, religion, like true crime, like major topics. Like a lot of people listen to podcasts for many reasons outside of business and career, which is a big category, but not the only category. So I don't know a lot of people consuming business content on YouTube, but still YouTube podcast listening is on the rise, Mm -hmm. which is crazy to me because it's audio first, but people for some reason, I've had enough people tell me like, oh yeah, no, I just opened up on another tab and click play. And I'm like, huh, I don't know. That's a thing. We, my team that worked on putting this podcast together, uh, there were a few members who didn't listen to podcasts and I love them. I listened to all kinds of them. And one of them was talking to, I think it was her brother. And she was like, Carrie, he does the weirdest thing. <laughs> I was like, what? She's like, he listens to podcasts on YouTube. Who does this? And Lots I was like, people. I guess it makes sense. And so that was one of the reasons that we tried YouTube, mm-hmm. um, like hosting it there, but also ads. It just didn't it didn't get the traction that we had hoped for. It could find, be because it's B2B. Yeah. I do find that the people who are doing it well, almost like you almost have to rethink about how you're doing it. Like it has to be more visual. You have to think about a little bit more set design and think mm-hmm. about it more like, 
you know, kind of like that sports talk thing you got going on at the end of football games or like a panel that CNN might do, right? Like you have mm-hmm. to think about it like that. It's, it's, it's mainly like there's not a lot of visual elements that you would miss if it was only audio, but it's still a little bit more visual in the nature than just a typical podcast with two people mm-hmm. sitting in their own, you know, their own rooms recording the episode together on Zoom or something. Right. So right. I think there is that dynamic. Otherwise, like, I don't know, I've probably watched a few Joe Rogan episodes, just little clips as he's talked to interesting people here and there, but I I don't listen to the full episode that way. Right, right. No, same. And I still use Spotify. I don't listen to podcasts on YouTube. So it's interesting. It was a good experiment, I think. Absolutely. So one of the things you did to kick off the growth of your channel is you actually made a marketing plan. And I find mm-hmm. that well, a lot of companies, especially if they're smaller, don't build marketing plans at all for anything, let alone for launching a podcast or a new content channel. <laughs> so what did you <laughs> include in your marketing plan to launch your podcast channel? Sure. My marketing plan included, obviously, our strategy, you know, upper funnel, you know, increase awareness. It included our operational plan of how we were going to source the content, what the cadence was, who the hosts were, how we were going to use dynamic insertion for ads to promote our brand within the podcast. We planned for the editorial calendar. So we planned a two-quarter editorial calendar that had themes, special guests, and then what our shorts segments were. So we had long or full episodes, and then we had shorts I included a business case in my marketing plan, which is where the bread and butter was. And the goal was to drive 5% incremental website traffic that would generate, you know, I could work the math backwards and say, we're going to get a couple hundred leads, I think, if this thing works out the way that I want it to, at a really great cost per lead. And by the way, I'm going to spend $20,000 on marketing to promote this new piece of content. And it was fairly a slam dunk. It was well put together. <laughs> if I could pat myself and my team on the back, but it was it was a full package. I served it up to my leadership and they were like, this is a really interesting idea. We never thought of it. Let's try it. And so like I said, the the content plan or the marketing plan also included go to market. So that was how we were going to measure the success of each of our channels, how we were going to manage our podcast buys, what our target results were, and then a calendar for execution. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the results. But first, before we do, you said there were some a business case for it. What was the business mm-hmm. case for it? Was that the leads that you were going to produce and the cost per acquisition you were hoping to see was that the business case? That's the business case. So I was asking for two seasons, so two quarters of an investment plus YouTube for X amount of dollars with our production company. And then the metrics we were going to report out on like subscribers, downloads, uh, website traffic, and forecasting like I think we can get 5% traffic and knowing how many visits to our website result in a lead, knowing that ratio, I can work back into leads. And then knowing the conversion rate of leads from our website, I could say this is going to drive, I suspect, X amount of revenue at the end of the day by producing this content and then promoting it and then ultimately dropping those people into our funnel and our sales cycle. Yep. So it's having it's having the business acumen to know that you need to put together whatever ratios or paths or best estimates to say, here's how we're going to give value to the business by producing this great brand agnostic content. So let's talk results. Starting yeah. with uh, starting with downloads. How many how many downloads did you drive? Just under two thousand in a thirty day report out. And I'm not a podcaster. I don't know if that's good or bad. In your estimation, is that good? Bad? Where does that fall for like 2,000 for 30 days? 
that's certainly where most of it's over what most of our customers ever get in 30 days. In fact, that's more than what most of our customers provided. Most of our customers do not spend any ad spend promoting the podcast. Mm. I'm lucky if they even link it to the front of their website sometimes. I'm like, you I'm like just trying to get them to do one-on-one. Hey, maybe we should put a link in the resources section of your website, like that kind of stuff. So like, the ones like, who actually implement the one-on-one material, like usually get to 2,000 downloads in about six months without paid media. But where did you guys end up at the end of six? I was no longer with the company at the end of six. So I couldn't tell you that. I do know, let's see, we had had... Um, 1,145 individual listeners. We drove 6% increase in incremental website traffic. So that was 27,000 new visits to our podcast pages from 19,000 unique individuals. So we brought 19,000 new individuals for our target audience to our brand website to learn more about our podcasting website, who then binged more podcasting content um, who then get put into our funnel because we're going to retarget them uh, with ads. So it was all part of a bigger sort of marketing strategy for our content team. Yep. So it's a pretty significant increase in traffic. What did that turn into as far as leads go? Leads took a little bit longer to nurture than we wanted to. These seem to be more uh, wanting to consume the content. We had to serve them more nurtures and more sort of brand agnostic content before we got down to lower funnel content. So in terms of like the 19,000 that we um, drew from the unique individuals, we got 440 new leads. 440 new leads, substantial. Are you counting those as MQLs? Did they, did you were able to track to see what they turned into SQLs? Yeah, we were able to track through MQL. SQL tracking got a little bit sketchy. Usually does. Yeah. Yeah. But that was 440 MQLs, not raw leads, MQLs qualified. Well, fantastic. How would you know if you were to do this again, if the channel was still worth keeping after six months? If we were still able to attribute any top funnel activity to this content, and clearly we can attribute top funnel activity to the content, I would look at six months of this activity is great. I would look at how can we further expand this to maybe repurposing to video or um, are there other content channels that we could stand up to fill gaps because this type of content that is not promoting our brand, that is just giving good value to our audience is shown in a business case that we can produce MQLs from this without putting our brand in front of everybody's face, simply putting good content in front of their face. Yep. So are you taking this strategy to your your next company? You bet. (laughs) Absolutely. Where I'm at now uh, is with the data analytics platform company. And podcasts are a really good thing in this industry. So um, this is definitely something I'd like to replicate. It's super interesting. We've got a lot of great thought leaders at our company that would speak for us and are well-connected. So they would be able to source speakers, which would make this a lot easier. But definitely, this is a strategy I will replicate. Fantastic. Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me on the Attention Podcast. I've loved learning about how you built this whole thing out and how thought through it was in the execution. Where can people learn more about Mode Analytics and connect with you online if they want to ask you more specific questions? Sure. You can learn more about Mode Analytics at mode.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search up Carrie Straits. I'm also on Twitter at Carrie Straits. Fantastic. Thanks again for joining me today. Thanks, Dan. 
All right, now let's talk about what caught my attention. This was a fantastic interview because there's very few case studies out there of what it takes to actually make a successful podcast. What I find is too many people put time and effort into the production, which is good because you need to make good content or at least make a plan to get better and better at it as you go if you're launching, you know, rough without any help. And that's fine too. But not enough people think about or put effort into promoting the podcast. It makes a lot of sense that if you're going to launch it and put all this time and effort and money into it, that you should probably set aside a healthy budget in order to promote it and get it in front of your ideal buyers to grow the audience. What I loved is that she not only set aside the budget for it, but also time and energy to execute it. Execute it. Setting aside 20K in order to advertise the podcast and spreading it across multiple channels from Facebook and Instagram to LinkedIn to YouTube to programmatic to programmatic podcast advertising, she's ensuring that she's going to hit it right somewhere. Now, one thing I probably would have done over time is eliminate more and just stick to the best advertising channels that there were and just continue to spend more and more around the ones that are bringing the most results. It's a little harder to do this with a podcast because you're not going directly to email or to leads where you can actually track attribution and conversion rates. But there are some ways to do it if you're sending most people to a web page where they can consume the podcast or at least click through to the media player of choice. You can actually measure the time on page or have different attributes that you're aiming for in order to see which channels are working better. I also try to optimize by putting content into these channels. So like LinkedIn, for example, I like to optimize by putting not just a promotion to say, hey, check out our podcast that's geared towards X, Y, and Z, but actually taking some of the best pieces of content and putting it right into LinkedIn where they can watch it and consume it. If they like it, you know, having a call to action and go and listen to the full episode, I find makes for better advertising. But either way, just getting it out there through paid promotion is what's going to help a channel grow, especially around the early days. days. So if you're launching a new channel, expect to put some paid promotion behind it for at least three months, if not six months, in order to start to get some traction with it. Otherwise, it can never get enough traction to, to even get like a healthy word of mouth going for a channel. Now, of course, there's ways to do this without paid media, but for what you're not going to spend in paid, expect to put it in time. Time. If you're not expecting to pay five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars or less, you could probably get away with two thousand dollars if you're lean and mean and know how to do it well, especially on LinkedIn ads if you're going B2B. Expect to put the same amount of time of that cost in. What does 15 hours of time look like for your department? That's how much time you need to put into making better organic content and promoting every single episode that comes out, just to kind of give it a fair balance. If you're not spending time or money, well, then what were you hoping would happen? Like, how far did you expect that channel to get without you actually getting it out in front of your customers or your audience? So those are my takeaways after this interview. Hopefully you take that to mind and count the cost before launching a new channel. You might want to double down on some existing channels or really allocate the proper resources to launching a new channel like a podcast or a LinkedIn page or a YouTube channel or an SEO channel or whatever that channel is. 